well. Uh, we continue in the Psalms and thinking this week on the, the, the truth that in life we, we all kind of look at things a little bit differently um, a lot of times, uh, depending on maybe the state that we grew up in, kind of the culture of our state, maybe we look at life a little differently, or maybe in the household we grew up in, or as we've lived overseas, you can we see from a different culture, you can see one thing and you both be looking at it and you see totally different things. And we have different experiences and we get excited about different things. And like this morning, I could ask you, I can say, I come to different ones of you and say, hey, um, what do you think, who do you think the starting quarterback will be for the Broncos? And some of you might be like, oh, I think Drew Locke. And others like, like Teddy Bridgewater. I think, I think he's and others might be like, well, I, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard about that. I, I don't know. And some of you might be like, what are you talking uh, Isn't Elway their quarterback? And you're like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And some of you might be like, Bronco? Isn't that a horse? I'm so confused. And we just care about different things and we look at things differently. But um, it's universal in our lives. No matter where you go, no matter what family you grew up in or what country or what state or what situation we all walk through the same reality of trial and suffering in this world. Now, it's true that we walk through it in different ways, and some of you have walked through deeper valleys than others of us. Some of you maybe have had physical suffering. Um, some of you have walked through treatment of cancer, and you know that trial. Some of you have faced chronic pain where you just feel pain a lot, and you've walked through that in different ways. Some of us have felt relational pain of rejection. Maybe some of us have been rejected by, by even mom and dad. Others have been rejected by, by maybe siblings or, or even your own children. And you've walked through those difficulties of that suffering. But we've all walked through that of one way or one degree to another, walked through suffering. Because we walk in a world that is broken by sin, but in it, we also know that God is not absent in the midst of suffering and trial and agony. And that the Lord often transforms those. He transforms them, as we're going to see even in this passage, into deliverance. He transforms them into hope. He transforms them even into praise, into worship. So the Lord is not unaware. And the Psalms are those that often they, they speak about our suffering. And most of us really love going to them because the Psalms often they often they put words to our trials, they words to our suffering, words to things that we can't even express fully, but then the Psalms are just like, that's how I feel. May I pray that. And sometimes the Psalms they they speak of even in our mind what we're wrestling with. Sometimes they speak about our faith and how we wrestle even with our faith and with God. And sometimes they speak of our faith and where our faith rests and they they put words to those things. And may even today, this psalm be that of an encouragement to us, a comfort to us. And coming in today, I don't know what you've struggled with this week. Maybe you've struggled with great discouragement this week. Maybe there have been days of deep depression this week. Or maybe there have been days of great rejoicing. Or maybe days of great frustration or confusion. May this be a psalm of encouragement as we see suffering, but we see deliverance. We see hope, we see even resurrection, we see life in these things. 
Now, this psalm that we go to, Psalm 22, it's a psalm of David. It even starts out and, and tells us that according to the doe of the dawn. And you might wonder what that is. And most likely, we don't know for sure, it may, a tune by which they, they would sing this to. But a psalm of David. And David lived around about 1,000 B.C., about 1,000 years before Christ. And here in this psalm, David reflects upon different seasons or different times of suffering, maybe a whole lot of seasons gathered together. And he speaks about this suffering, this trial. He speaks about his experience. Maybe we know through the life of David, we know that he was exiled at times. We know that he faced great defeat at times. We know that he was also rejected um, by his children. You think of Absalom, who wanted to take over and try to dethrone David. And David had to flee for a time. And David was surrounded at times by enemies and no doubt felt at times of helplessness and struggle and cried out to God. Maybe even times of loneliness, times of despair. And we hear this agony of the psalmist in these verses. But these verses, I think as we will see, they go beyond anything that David fully experienced. These are, this is a description of, of an execution. And they go beyond. And if you, we read this psalm as we're going to do today, and then as we read the account of Christ's arrest, his beating, and his crucifixion, we can't look at both of these and not see in Psalm 22 a description of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And we're reminded of the suffering of Jesus as we read through Psalm 22. And we're reminded too, as we're going to continue to walk through, we know that he did not stay on the cross, he did not stay in the grave, but he rose again. And we know too this, even this very first verse, the, the first line of this verse, they were on the lips of Jesus as he hung on the cross. And even as we conclude this psalm, we know as it speaks about that it is done. We know that Jesus cried out, it is finished. So these were words and thoughts. This is a psalm upon the heart of our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Calvin, in his commentary, says this. In short, there is no doubt that Christ and uttering exclamation upon the cross, manifesting, manifestly showed that although David here bewails his own distresses, this psalm was composed under the influence of prophecy concerning David's king, the Lord. So we see that, and we're going to walk through, but as we first walk through, we will walk through looking through the, the eyes of David as he, as he speaks about suffering, and then we'll see that of Christ. So we'll begin, and we see Suffering, suffering, but in this great suffering, we see it, it goes back and forth from suffering to trust. Suffering to trust in God and crying out in trust and crying out in agony. And there's a mingling of these two together. And I think this is how it is. Often it should be in our walk of, with Christ as we face suffering and trial. So it begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God. I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. So this beginning of suffering in the psalmist of David, he, he cries out to the Lord in great agony and just says, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? When I cry out to you, I cry out during the day and I hear nothing. I cry out at night on my bed and there's no response. And I, I groan and I cry out to the Lord and there's no 
no response. There's no rest. Where is my God? And it's also personal. He says, my God, my God. So there's isolation from this relationship that he has become accustomed to with the Lord God. And maybe, maybe you and your suffering, you can relate to that. There have been places where you have suffered and you've prayed out and called out to God. And maybe you're even there now. And you've prayed and God has felt so far from you, so distant from you, that as you pray, the prayers hit the ceiling and you wonder if they go any farther. And in this, as we read these, we realize that we're not alone in this. And often, I said, I think it was last week, mentioning how when I'll pray for people, and even for myself, sometimes I pray, Lord, just demonstrate just in a tangible way your mercy or your grace to this or that person today in their suffering. Because sometimes in our suffering, it feels like the Lord is so far off. But here, this is God's anointed. And we think later as we look through it in the eyes of Christ that this is the Son of God crying out. We're not alone when we, we wrestle through these things. And yet there's still hope. There's still trust as in verses 3 through 5. He says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So this forsaken one, he, he still looks upon the character of God and the works of God, and he still finds hope and trust. He says, you are holy, you're, you're set apart, you're Lord of Lords, you're, you're other than. You're without fault, without sin, you're worthy of praise, king enthroned and receiving praise. And then he talks about the trustworthiness of God, and it uses that word trusted three times. And our fathers trusted, and you delivered. They trusted, they were not put to shame. There's still trust mingled with his agony and suffering. And he continues in verses 6 through 8. There's a more agony, more suffering. He says, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusted in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. So here we hear the, the turmoil in, in David's heart as he faces rejection and being despised by mankind. They see him and he's totally dehumanized. He's humiliated. He's suffering. He's in agony. And he says, I, I, I'm, just, I'm, like, I'm not a man anymore. I'm just a worm. I'm despised by people. I'm like a worm that can be stomped on and mocked, sneered, laughed at. And we see his faith, even his faith in God is being mocked. It seems like God is absent. Look at your agony. Look at your suffering. He's not listening to you. I think of the cross-referencing cross this with another passage that speaks about the suffering service, servant, another prophecy of the death of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53. Verse 3 that says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Until even just studying this week, I, I've forgotten, or maybe just hadn't really thought about how rejection is a great suffering. Sometimes being rejected. 
affected by someone we love or someone that we care for, someone that we've invested time and life in that's rejected us, that can be more painful than a physical wound that we bear, the rejection of another. And here we see that David is rejected by all those around him. He is scorned and mocked. I think, too, even as we prayed this morning, I think of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan who face even greater rejection. There's a government now that has taken over who would consider them, who considers them infidels, worthy of execution. Speaking about being, feeling like you are a worm trampled down. I had posted our, in our weekly or email just a link to an article. You may have read it. But um, this article was that of a, a pastor who, who's stateside who works with Afghans who live in America. And they had a retreat last weekend. So he was able to, to speak with them. And this was some of what he said when he, they had this retreat with Afghans here in the States. And he said, on the first night of the retreat, we learned that a pastor in Afghanistan received a letter from the Taliban. We know who you are, what you do, and where to find you. By Saturday, the Taliban were at his door, but he had gone into hiding. Praise God. I listened as an Afghan pastor spoke through tears about his friend, a faithful believer whose village was taken by the Taliban three days earlier. This dear brother's 14-year-old daughter was ripped from his arms and forced into sexual servitude in what the Taliban would, would dub as marriage and their dutiful Islamic privilege and responsibility. These brothers and sisters face great suffering and mocking. And two, um, yet they no doubt look to the suffering of Jesus Christ, reflect on in these psalms, no doubt, and are reminded that they have a Savior who suffered but then rose again, and there's great comfort found in one who has. Verse 9 through 11, this mingling of, of hope and agony. You are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far, for trouble is near, and there is none help me. So we hear that these words of trust, he said, even at birth, you comforted me, you protected me, even from then. And there's just a statement of the psalmist trust in the Lord that he is resting in him and he has been protected and that he knows that you're not far uh, and there's none, there is none to help. So just to cry out the true of help, his hope really is in the Lord. His hope has not yet been vanquished, and yet he suffers. And then continues in verses 12 and following. We have this, this growing description of agony, of suffering, of physical suffering. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. So here the psalmist describes as these strong and violent enemies that surround them, that surround him. 
like a strong bull. This is this symbol of strength, these strong enemies, like a lion ready to devour him. This is a picture of soon coming utter destruction as his enemies surround him. And then physical suffering continues. I am poured out like water, verse 14. And all my bones are out of joint. It's a description of just, almost, of all of life's juices being poured out. It's a description of a vessel, maybe a vessel of water being poured out and it's emptied. Utterly drained of the energy of life. I don't know if you've ever gone through a a battle with, with flu for a season where you just felt totally empty. Or maybe you had a medical procedure where they make you drink that stuff that totally empties you and and maybe you've had those experiences of just laying, feeling dead on the floor in your bathroom afterwards. But this is just a hundred times more emptying of life. And that maybe gives you a picture of what's going on. And all my bones are out of joint. He, he feels as if he's been stretched and everything's popped. He's using strong words, figurative speech, and hyperbole for us to understand the extent and the intensity of his pain that he's going through physically. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. All of his life is melting. His fight has gone out of him. There's no fight left. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. So he's dried up like a dry broken clay pot. No life, no life juices left in him, dehydrated. His tongue sticks to his jaws. I mean, it's a description of, of that dehydration, of just nothing left. You lay me in the dust of death. So he's at the door of, of death, at death's door here. Death is near. Verse 16, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. So this continued description of enemies surrounding him. We've had bulls and lions and now dogs. And as he's speaking about dogs, he's not thinking of like labradoodles or um, or golden doodles and doodle doodles. But these are like... The dogs that run the street. In Ecuador, we had these kind of dogs that would just run the street. And they would, if they found found meat, they would just tear into it. And this is what's being spoken of. They're going to dig into that carcass. Piercing hands and feet. Think again of Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with wounds we are healed. In verse 17, I, I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. So he is emaciated to the point he is like a Holocaust victim. Just all you can see is bones. And people pass by and there's not pity in their eye, but mocking and scorn. They stare and they gloat. And then verse 18, my strength is, oh, sorry. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothes, they cast lots. So the final act of disgracing the psalmist. Everything is removed, even his clothes. He is left humiliated. 
dehumanized, naked. And they take his clothes and they make sport of it. They cast lots for him. This is this picture that we see of great suffering to the point of just emptiness to the gates of death we see him. Let me read now from Matthew. You can listen or read along if you want. Matthew 27, verse 27 and following. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and gathered the whole battalion before him. Maybe in your footnote it says that there's usually about 600 men in the battalion surrounding him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeled before him. They mocked him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified, to crucify him. Then verse 35, I'm sorry. And And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross. And we will believe in him. He trusted in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land. Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemas bakthani. That is my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? So you can't read that psalm and read that text and not know this is a prophecy of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And we're reminded that Jesus Christ is the one who, who humbled himself. He didn't, he didn't hide himself or keep himself from entering into the suffering of this broken world. That's broken because of sin and rejection of him. But he entered in, born as a babe, born in a manger, born and laid in a feeding trough and being obedient to death, even death on the cross. And he knows the power of temptation as well, yet without sin. So he's a suffering servant. And he's not absent in our suffering as well. We can identify him. He is one who, as we're going to see in a little bit, was delivered and brings resurrection and new life. And he brings that to us as well. So we're reminded of that. We can find hope in that. As we, Do you remember when we studied first Peter and Ruth? There was suffering, yet 
through that crucible of suffering and refinement, the Lord brings glory. And the question, too, might come, well, why? Why is the righteous one, the Son of God, the anointed one, suffered so much? And we're reminded that on the cross that he was forsaken and he was put to shame. And we know, though, that yet he, wasn't de- he was delivered over to death, that we might not be delivered over to death, that, that we might have true life in him. We know that Jesus was forsaken as the son of man who bore our sins, that we might not be forsaken, but that we might be called sons and daughters of the king. He was not delivered and rescued in that moment, and he did not rescue himself, that he might deliver and rescue us from death and sin and Satan. He was put to shame that we might no longer bear the shame of our sin, but be forgiven, be delivered, and be welcomed in. So we're reminded of those things. I think of 1 Peter 3.18 that we, we reference so many times as we walk through 1 Peter. For Christ also suffered for our, our once for sins, the right for the unrighteous, that, we might, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. But as we read through this, as we get to that verse that we stopped at, verse 18, we can be thankful that that's not the end of the psalm. The psalm doesn't end in verse 18, but it continues on. And is that we see that we see great suffering transformed into greater deliverance. Great suffering transformed into even greater deliverance. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help. Quickly to my aid, deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life, power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. And then there's a bit of a change because he said, deliver this command, please deliver me, save me. And then he says, you have rescued. Maybe your footnote, it'll notice this. You have answered me from the horns of the wild oxen. So there's a shift here. Where the answer comes, he's been rescued. The Lord has answered. There's rescue. And we can know that there's rescue. We can know that there's deliverance here. Because there's this shift and this change as he's cried for help. And now there's an answer. And then we go into verse 22 and following. It's a total different tone as he breaks forth in praise. So the question is, well, what happens between verse 21 that we just read and now as we're going to enter in this section of praise, what has happened? Well, there's been deliverance. And we know for Christ that means there's been a resurrection between these two verses. That he's been rescued. He's been delivered. There's resurrection. He is risen. The suffering servant from his death now comes life and hope. He's been pierced. He's been laid down in the dust of death. And the moment, though, of sorrow and suffering was just for a moment. And we enter into this time of praise and hope that is so much greater than that season of suffering and agony. But the result is joy and salvation and rescue. As we continue, we see that praise break forth. There's great suffering 
transformed into greater hope in worship or greater hope in praise than you could right there. In verses 22 through 31. Let's continue then. I will tell you, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offsprings of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the afflicted, the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. So here we have this breaking forth in praise as he's been delivered. The suffering one, the suffering servant, he's been delivered now and he, he declares praise in the congregation he declares praise amongst his brothers, amongst his people, amongst his sisters. And that's called out. And we know that this verse um, is one that refers to, to Christ, who, who declared these things among us, his brothers and sisters that are brought in. Because in the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, in chapter 2, verse 12, it speaks about that, that Jesus here is these words are put in the mouth of Jesus that he declared praise to his brothers and sisters and saying that this relationship that we're brought in as we are brought in through the deliverance of Jesus Christ as, as we are now daughters and sons of the king and we're brothers and sisters of Christ and we are brought into this praise as he has risen and this praise continues and why does he pray and why does he call everyone around him to praise and to praise the one true God, because he is not despised, he is not abhorred, he has not left him in his affliction, but he has answered, and deliverance has come, has been heard. And this praise continues as we continue to walk through in these verses. Verse 25 and 26, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vow I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. So this congregation, this is continued praise and worship that's going on here. There's sacrifices that are offered. And there is a meal that is happening. And those who eat are satisfied. I think of, of Christ Jesus when he fed the 5,000. We've talked about that several times where he, he fed them. They ate, they were satisfied, and there were leftovers. And this is how it is with Christ. And that it's not just a praise that's a momentary, but it's forevermore. May your hearts live forevermore. There's a deliverance that goes past the moment, but goes on into eternity with Christ. And then the deliverance that he brings in his resurrection. And then we continue to walk through verse 27 and following. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over all the nations. So this, this praise, it doesn't just stop in the congregation that's around him now, but it, it goes forth, this praise, this worship, at response of this deliverance that has happened. And it goes to all families of all nations, of all peoples, and it goes forth as we know that our God is King of kings and Lord of lords over all nations and all people. So it doesn't stop. It's not limited. The rejoicing that has resulted from the suffering 
of Jesus Christ. And we know as we are those who partake of the goodness of the gospel. And we know that. And we're those who continue to be about the, even the expanding of this praise as we are used by him to, to be heralds of the gospel in different ways through our going, through our prayer, and through our giving and our support. We're able to be about that praise of Jesus going forth. And let me read, read the last few verses. I'm going to read them in the, the paraphrase of the New Living. I thought it, it helpful. Verse 29 through 31. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Bow before him all who are mortal. All lives will end as dust. Our children will also serve him. Future generations about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those yet not born. Not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. So we hear this praise that, that continues to go forth in the, the speaking of the suffering servant who is now risen and delivered, the speaking of Christ will go forth to all people. And even not just those during that time, but for those who have yet to be born, the word will go out. So we see this just expanding, going out praise. And we should be just amazed as we look upon what can come from the suffering and what came from the suffering of Jesus Christ who suffered for us that we might be delivered, that we might be forgiven, that we might have the hope of eternal life in him. So as we, suffering servant, the one who is delivered, the one who was rescued, the one who rescues, we find great hope. And we don't have to be at loss in the midst of suffering. We can see that the Lord, God, who redeemed the suffering of Christ to bring eternal life and forgiveness that he can redeem our suffering as well. It might not be in the timing or the way that we expect, or it might not be till we see our Savior's face in eternity to know what he was doing and how he was refining and working. Might we also be reminded, too, as we think of this passage, be reminded of the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. Jesus was the one described here who was surrounded, who was attacked, who was beaten, who was mocked, who was left naked to hang on the cross. And yet on the cross, what did he say to those who were crucifying him? He said, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. There's great mercy and forgiveness found when we look at the agony and the suffering of Jesus Christ, who through that brought us life. And finally, the call morning, I don't know where you are in your journey with Christ. Maybe this morning he's calling you to turn from your sin yourself and trust in him as your Lord and Savior, the one who suffered in your place and then rose again victorious that you might have life and even hope in your suffering, knowing that it's not in vain and knowing that you're not alone in it. He's a Savior who's gone before you. If you want to trust or know more about trusting Christ, you can grab in the cards. You can always mark that. If you want to know more, come talk with me or if you've watched online, to reach out to us. Or maybe the call is this morning to return to the suffering servant who died for you but rose again victorious, who knows your suffering. Maybe you need, maybe you're running in some sense from him, and he's calling you to return and to trust in him and rest in him as your Lord and Savior. Know that he is not unaware, and he 
of one who brings victory out of trials. Or maybe this morning you just need to cling to Jesus, continue clinging to Jesus as he clings even tighter to you than you cling to him and rest and be reminded of his grace and his mercy this morning. Let's pray. Dear Father, God, we thank you for your your kindness and your mercy to us. We thank you that you have not left us without witness of the suffering and the death of Christ, but then his resurrection and his deliverance and the hope that we have in him. And we, we thank you that you don't leave us alone in our suffering, but that you come near and you draw near and you bring comfort. And our Savior, Jesus Christ, knows great agony and suffering beyond even that which we can ever imagine. And he can bring comfort. And we thank you for that. Lord, may you even renew in our heart a trust in you, a hope in you, a resting in you. Lord, I even pray for those who may have yet to trust you as Lord and Savior, that this would be a day that they rest in you. I pray for those who might be wandering or running or pushing against you, that they would turn and trust and find great hope and peace from our Savior Jesus Christ, who even on the cross extended forgiveness to those who crucified him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.